This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, September the 12th, 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, there's going to be a lot of conversations about education. Laura Bain will discuss the importance of accommodation for post-secondary students with disabilities. Then there's going to be a roundtable chat about housing for students on campuses. And finally... The theme of learning continues as you'll learn who wins the weekly news quiz. Trivia and education. Elizabeth Moeller, Karen McGee, and Amanda Shikarchi are all going to be part of that weekly news quiz. But the hour begins with the regional news update. Starting in British Columbia, BC Premier David Eby is launching a task force that will help shape policy related to wildfires, drought and extreme heat. Eby says current climate conditions necessitate expert insight. There's a great deal of urgency because the scale of this wildfire season was so historic and because we're going into another season now where we're dealing with both drought and simultaneously the possibility of uh, significant rainfall. Um, the, uh, we have to do our recovery planning at the same time as we're in an active state of emergency. EB knows that there has to be coordination between different agencies. The goal here is that the task force will be working with the public service in partnership with the hardworking people from uh, emergency response from the wildfire service to ensure that we're deploying additional resources, that we're deploying solutions as they're recommended to us so that we don't have that delay of waiting before we can take action. Over to the prairies, Alberta is creating new teams of prosecutors to focus on violent crime. Justice Minister Mickey Amory explains why the province is taking this step. There is an increasing sense that our justice system is not holding criminals properly accountable for their actions and letting the public suffer the consequences, and this is simply unacceptable. Public Safety Minister Mike Ellis paints a picture of how he perceives downtown cores. You have the right to walk down the street without being violently attacked. You have a right to take transit to work without inhaling secondhand crystal meth smoke. And you have a right to walk uh, downtown without being caught between clashes of violent organized crime gangs. The province is also creating more drug treatment spaces for people. Over to Ontario, the federal government is giving Rogers Communications a deadline of October 3rd to open up its new cellular network on the Toronto subway system to its competitors. Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne says this mandate is part of evolving telecom regulations. This is a very, very big step in the history of Canada. I'm told it's never been done where you amend a carrier's license to operate with conditions. So for them to be able to sell cell phone services, they have to comply with what we said today. Uh, This is unprecedented, but I think it's needed. 
Only Rogers and Freedom Mobile customers currently have access to the internet on the TTC network. And finally, in the Atlantic provinces, the Nova Scotia government has purchased a motel to house healthcare workers recruited to work on the province's south shore. The province plans to convert the former Wheelhouse Motel in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia into mixed income housing. The investment in the first phase of the project is $4.7 million. The site is to include up to 12 one-bedroom units along with six townhouses that are more suitable for families with rent based on income. Nova Scotia says healthcare workers will be given priority to rent the units, followed by skilled trades professionals. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, you want to start south of the equator and talk about the Bacha World Championships. Yes, I do. They wrapped up and I have some results. But first, let me remind you that these divisions that I'm going to speak about are divided into uh, BC 1 through 4. And they are also divided up into men and women's and team and pairs. And we're going to touch on so, all of this, so those these are, as we go. So those are different disability classes as well as gender classes. Correct. Yes. Okay. It used to be just disability uh, classes where depending on your severity of disability, that's where you would fit. Now it's dependent on your disability severity plus now your gender of where you would fit. So that's what's going on. So let's start with... Um, the women's side, Montreal's Alison Levine wins gold, which will solidify her place as an individual in the 2024 Paralympic Games in Paris. Julian Carbanu from Montreal, who's also a BC4, wins the uh, bronze medal for the male side of things. Uh, team, which is the team is divided up into players from the BC1 category and the BC2 category. So the BC1 category is individuals who have the second most severe disability than anybody else, and BC2 have, has the third most severity of disability. So they did not win either of their pool games against Brazil or Mexico. They now need to go to Parapan Am Games and either win or they go to that last chance qualifier right before the games which will be announced uh, soon, I would say, where that will be located. So some good, some some bad for the Bacha World Championships. Very good, Brock. Thank you for bringing that Parasport update into the mix. Now let's talk about Monday Night Football. The Buffalo Bills fall to the New York Jets in overtime. Brock, let's put your bills to the side for a moment. The fourth play of the game... Aaron Rodgers, future Hall of Fame quarterback, acquired this summer by the New York Jets, leaves the game with an Achilles injury. After the game, Jets coach Robert Sala said they think this one's pretty severe. Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine being a Jets fan this morning, even with picking up the W last night. Yeah, I mean, they were pretty hush-hush um, about this for a while. Uh, during the game, they didn't really want to say much. But when he got off the cart, Aaron Rodgers, that is, and went into the room and he was already in a walking boot, I was like, mm, this is a pretty big deal. I, I would say that there was also a lot of discussion about Zach Wilson because a lot of the schemes and things were 
built around Aaron Rodgers and what Aaron Rodgers knows. And so there was a lot of discussion on social media. I hope Zach Wilson knows some of the schemes. Well, he proved that he knew at least some of them. He got some help from Josh Allen with intercepted. Okay, but, but I would pause, 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 pause. They're all over the place. Zach Wilson is the backup quarterback for the New York Jets. You're right. He uh, is definitely the scheme. The, the offensive scheme was built for Aaron Rodgers. It is the second year with Zach Wilson in the, as part of this team, though. So you'd think there's at least a little bit of comprehension of the schemes. He was part of the training camp as well this year. It's not like they brought him in out of the stands onto the field last mm-hmm. night. He's the backup quarterback, but he got a lot of help from the star offensive players. Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver for the Jets, made a couple huge catches, including one that was a catch of the year candidate late in the game to extend a drive. And Brees Hall, the running back coming off, coming back off a serious knee injury, had a couple monster long runs that put the team into scoring position. So Zach Wilson played quite effectively last night for the Jets, but he got a lot of help from two star stud young players. Yes, and another sort of theme on the broadcast was Zach Wilson, as you mentioned, was here last year, but he didn't do very well, which is part of the reason they went and looked for somebody like Aaron Rodgers to to take over this team. So I was, as an outsider, which is hard for me to say as an outsider of this game, I was pretty happy to see that he was able to do some stuff, but as a long-term, this is not the solution the Jets want for this situation, hence why they brought in Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, hence but, why they traded a ton of draft capital to replace a guy they drafted second overall two years ago. Right, and so, I mean, if you're, and I agree with you, if you're a New York Jets fan, you're not waking up this morning very happy, and I can tell you that even as a Bills fan, we're not waking up this morning very okay. happy in this long season, but you know. yes, let's talk about your Buffalo Bills because your quarterback Josh Allen continued a trend that is very typical of him, which he is sloppy with the football. Three interceptions and a fumble. If he's a little bit cleaner with the ball last night, Brock. The Bills win the game, maybe not easily because the Jets were putting up quite a strong fight, but Josh Allen has a really bad habit of just turning the ball over non-stop. Yeah, he does, and it, this is a problem. I mean, you had your defense, you know, make some stands in the red zone last night a couple of times in, in only resulting in a field goal, and then you as the quarterback just shoot your team in the foot by you know, dropping the ball, intercepting, like it just, it's all over the place. I love Josh Allen. I love the fact that they locked him up long-term, but my goodness, does some of this stuff need to be cleaned up. He is not invincible. He needs to recognize that. I I need him more to to throw the football rather than using his legs and getting getting out of the pocket and, and throwing the ball. I need him to be settled back with his offensive line and hopefully they can stop people from hitting him because that's the goal. That's why they bolstered up some of their offensive line to avoid this. But what I saw last night, not pretty. Not pretty at all. Both fan bases waking up this morning probably not feeling uh, very good about themselves. One, because the Jets now know they potentially have to go at least a ways way here with their backup quarterback. And Brock, I, I don't mean to put this after one game at the feet of your offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, going into his second year as offensive coordinator for the Bills. But that was something where you saw a big regression last year for Josh Allen with Ken Dorsey as the offensive coordinator, that a lot of those bad habits with the ball were popping 
jumping back up into his game. That was after their previous offensive coordinator, Brian Daybald, left the team to become the head coach of the New York Giants. Now, I know there's not a, there's not a lot of happy Giants fans today still licking their wounds from uh-huh. Sunday, but the one thing you saw with Brian Daybald is that he had Josh Allen playing a very precise game, much less sloppy with the ball, much more careful. Ken Dorsey, this is the first time that he's ever been an offensive coordinator, full-blown offensive coordinator, and the team struggled last year offensively, and if last night's any evidence, it may be time to start saying, what are we going to do? Maybe not right now. You've got to scuffle through the year. You've got to make your way through. But they already in Buffalo need to be making that seat real hot on Ken Dorsey because this is perhaps not the offensive coordinator who's going to have this team take the next step into the playoffs. Because that's the thing, Brock, with the Buffalo Bills, the expectation is no longer simply making the playoffs. It's no. winning playoff games. It's potentially even going to a Super Bowl. That's the bar they're setting. And the way that team played last night, admittedly against a good defense, but the way they played last night, that is not a team that can make the Super Bowl. And and especially, too, like without Aaron Rodgers. Like, if you're going to play that way without Aaron Rodgers, and I, I, again, don't mean to, you know, disrespect Zach Wilson as the Jets' backup quarterback, but, like, if you're going to play that way against a backup quarterback, yikes, you have some big, big names, you know, coming up later in the season that you're going to have to play a heck of a lot better. And for me, you know, Mr. Dorsey, if these are habits that are still rearing their head in your second season, I've got some trouble with this. Yeah. You know, yeah, if this was your first game, yeah, okay, maybe we accept this. Maybe it's your first season. Maybe I accept that kind of thing for the first, you know, two or three games. This is your second season where now your schemes and the things that you've seen of Josh Allen are things that you need to change. And if the if the old habits are rearing, we're in trouble yeah. here. Coaching, and I don't like it. Coaching like matters. It. Coaching matters in football. There's no doubt about it. Brock, thank you for this. Have a great day. You as well. That is Brock Richardson at the AMI Sports Desk. Coming up next, it's a new school year, which means there's always the opportunity to reiterate the importance of accommodation for students with disabilities in post-secondary school. Laura Bain will offer up her thoughts on that importance. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Classrooms have come to life with the return of school. New school year comes with a lot of potential. It also comes with a lot of stresses, especially for students with disabilities who are requiring accommodations at the beginning of the year. Maybe you've got to introduce yourself and introduce your needs to professors who don't know anything. Columnist Laura Bain is experiencing that situation as she starts a new semester in school. Hey, good morning, Laura. Great to have you back as part of the AMI family. Yeah, great to be here, Dave. So the fall semester just started. How are things going for you so far? 
Yeah, things are going reasonably well so far. So all of my accommodation requests went in last week. Um, now those go directly from the school's accessibility center to the professors. Um, and there's a whole lot of steps that have to happen before that. I make it sound simple, but there's actually a lot of <laughs> a lot of steps before that. But because I'm in my third year, a lot of that stuff's already in place, and it's just a matter of going in and renewing those accommodations. Um, now something that I like to do. Technically, everything could just be handled through those formal requests in the school's accessibility center. But I find as a legally blind student, I like to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with all of my profs, just kind mm. of a way of saying like, hey, you've got a blind student in the class um, because I might be asking questions if you throw something up on the overhead and say, um, what do we think about this? <laughs> you know, and right, don't explain right. any further. Yeah, and I also find that when profs see my cane, they want to have that conversation. So that's the part that gets me nervous is that one-on-one -on -one conversation that I always feel like I need to have, you know, at the beginning of the class. Yeah, because it, it's like introducing yourself to someone new, especially if it's a brand new professor, right? That how, how do you how do you even approach that as they're on their way from the first lecture out of their room or that first office hour session sort of popping in being like, hi, I'm Dave, I'm legally blind. Let me explain to you what that means. Yeah, it's so awkward. I usually start by asking them if it's a good time to talk about accommodations or if they would want me to to make an appointment with them, just rather than assuming that they, they have that time. But it can be a little bit awkward, for sure. Well, and I have been burned before in that conversation as well. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes people don't understand, that, like, or, or they're unwilling to understand. Uh, sometimes we'd like to give them the benefit of the doubt, <laughs> but uh, sometimes yeah. they just don't. Laura, there's a word you use there, and for whatever reason, today's one of these days where I'm banging on the table and talking about language and the importance of precision in language. What do you make of the expression request accommodation? Yeah, um, well, I, I, I have noticed, I, I think it's problematic, I guess I'll just say first of all, but I have noticed that there's been a bit of an attitudinal shift since I did my undergrad where it was very much always framed as a request and you sort of had to go to your professor with a written letter at the end of at the beginning of the semester and it was framed that way um to I think now it is more understood by professors that they are legally obligated to accommodate students um and also it's socially unacceptable not to do that and I think that's because of the work of uh, disability rights advocates and things like the Accessible Canada Act um I'm trying to remove request from my language because I think it speaks back to when we didn't have the legislation on our side. So I am trying to train myself to say things like, oh, did you receive my accommodations from the accessibility office yet? Or, oh, yes, I put in my accommodations last week. But that's an attitudinal shift, which yeah. always uh, kind of follow formal policy yeah. yeah it's 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 almost like it's still missing a word right that like have you received my accommodations it, it's almost like it's missing something that implies what it is because maybe it's not a request yeah. but you don't want to use words like demand because that's like super <laughs> aggressive I was thinking requirements. Have you received my requirements oh, yet? Oh, I like you see that. You see that I like my accessibility requirements. You see, this is good. We're workshopping this one together. Uh, right. Laura, scratch a little deeper at some of the legislative background here because a bunch of different provinces are working on their own accessibility legislation. The federal government is working on theirs. Universities have their own accessibility departments. What is some of the legislative background on this? 
Yeah, you said it. So I have run into issues with professors in the past, both in my current program and in my undergrad. And I had this vague notion of, well, you're legally required to accommodate me, but then I found it was quite complicated. Um, and, you know, even as a, a graduate student, for whatever that's worth, I found it complicated, uh, you know, researching for this segment. Um, but certainly your university's accessibility policy is going to be an important document. Um, that's sort of your first line of defense. If your professor is violating university policy, then you can run that up the chain of command. And when I was in my undergrad, my university didn't have a formal accommodation policy in place, I learned. They just had more of a like, quote unquote, practice of accommodation. But I think most universities now will have formal accommodation policy. Um, now, beyond that, students have a right to, quote unquote, reasonable accommodation to the point of, quote unquote, undue hardship on the part of the institution. Um, you know, so there is a little room for subjectivity there with some of those words, but that's prevent, uh, protected under provincial and federal human rights legislation. Um, now, as you mentioned, there is provincial accessibility legislation as well. That is relatively new in Nova Scotia and education is covered under that. There are standards um, that universities have to come into compliance with by certain deadlines. Now, how that is going to come into play when a professor is violating it, I really don't know. It is a little bit complicated, um, but students should know that they do have the law on their side in general when it comes to dealing with, uh, you know, a reasonable accommodation at a university related to their disability. Laura, I always find one of the most difficult questions in any environment that I'm going to is, what accommodations do you need? Because frankly, I don't know until I know. So certainly there's stuff you can do at the start of the semester to say, here's maybe the broader perspective of what I might need, but how important is it to keep revisiting accommodations and maybe understanding what that process might look like in real time as a semester unfolds? Yeah, you said it. I always find that difficult as well because you put these in in at the end of August or the beginning of September, but you may not even know who the professor is going to be for some courses, let alone how they're going to run the classroom and what tools they're going to use. So I did look at some different universities' websites and what they say about accommodation requests. Generally, they're really strongly encouraging students to put them in at the start of the semester, but there is some flexibility, which is important because, um, you know, I know I've had situations where suddenly the professor go where we were doing something at a different location involving actors um, and working with students from other disciplines, and that was not part of my accommodation plan being in that environment, right? Uh, the other piece of it is it can take a lot of time if you don't already have the basics in place. So I would encourage students get that medical documentation filled out, that can take weeks or months, get that submitted, get an advisor. And then if you need to make adjustments to your accommodations, it's going to be a much smoother process. Mm. Uh, Laura, you mentioned that even for yourself as a grad student, sometimes understanding these frameworks can be a little bit difficult. What are some resources that might be available or online groups that might be available for folks to check out? Yeah. Um, so first I'll say that, uh, you know, students should go to their university's accessibility center, presuming they have one, which definitely larger universities and a lot yes, of colleges yes. will. Definitely, um, definitely do that. That was my biggest mistake in my undergrad, not doing that like the first week of school. 
That's a really good first step. Um, there is also your school's ombudsman, which is one that I haven't thought of as much in the past, maybe as I should. So, or I should say ombudsperson. I don't mean to use gendered language there, but that is someone who uh, is going to be theoretically neutral and an expert on resolving conflicts within the university. They can give you advice. So I would say go to your school's ombudsperson and discuss the situation with them and see what resource within the organization is available to you. Um, but I'm also would recommend that, uh, you know, organizations like the National Education Association for Disabled Students, they have resources on their website. You can reach out to them as well um, about this sort of thing, because you're definitely not the only student who's ever gone through this. Um, and I do have an event that I want to mention if that's yes, please, um, all right. Yes, please, please. Yeah, so uh, they're holding uh, a self-advocacy and accommodation tips and tricks workshop this Friday, September 15th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. Eastern. They're going to be talking about your rights and responsibilities around accommodations and what to do when requests are not honored by professors. So um, it sounds like just a great workshop and people can register for that by going to needs.ca, which is N-E-A-D-S dot C-A. Yeah, awesome organization needs. Hey, Laura, I mentioned that you're rejoining the AMI family. You left the company to go back to school a couple of years ago. What have you been studying? I'm doing my master's of social work. Now, it is taking me a couple of years because I'm in a program for people who don't have a bachelor of social work. They do um, sort of a combined program where you do it all full time in two years and get the equivalent of your BSW and your MSW. But I've gone down to part time, which is a lot more accessible for me. So I'm mm. sort of going into year three of two now and I've got another another year and a semester left of that. Well, Laura, I was always a huge admirer of your work on ATW, AMI This Week, as well as a bunch of the specials that came out of the Halifax Bureau. So happy that uh, you're back to join us, even, even uh, just slightly to begin with. Really glad to have you back on board. Thank you for this. Have a great day and talk to you soon. I really missed it, Dave. So thanks for having me. That's Laura Bain, columnist in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Coming up after the break, the theme of education continues. Elizabeth Moeller wants to ask myself, Nisreen, and Ramya all about housing on campus. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Education is the theme of this hour on the show. Last segment, all about accommodations for students with disabilities. Well, let's put the word accommodation literally here. Elizabeth Moeller, you're thinking about housing for students on campus as well. I sure am, Dave. I'm thinking about it because Ontario is holding some consultations with colleges and universities and municipalities. And they're gonna be doing it this fall, looking at student housing, which has certainly been a buzzword in the newspaper lately. And the colleges and universities minister actually said this on Monday. So I thought given these consultations that are gonna be happening this fall, we could chat all about housing and accommodations for students. So to kick us off, I'd like to ask you, Nazreen, what's been your experience as a student obtaining housing? Uh, I never studied on campus. I, I I never lived on campus, sorry. Um, that's something that I wanted to do for such a long time, but 
uh, many, many years of school, I, I lived far away. It was like a two hour commute. And yes, go buses, go trains were very expensive and still are very expensive. But living on campus was very, very expensive. So it wasn't affordable for me to um, take the shot, even though it was in Toronto, North York. So it was kind of, um, you already know that it's going to be expensive. So I never had that opportunity so to for do you so. it was a cost thing it was a prohibitive thing in terms of cost for living on campus yeah exactly and what about yourself Ramia what's been your experiences with living um, away from home while attending post-secondary I lived at Ryerson for a year when I went to do my um one year of English <laughs> and it was awesome. Um, so basically I, I wanted to move out of home and there was a lot of pushback because it's in Toronto. So why would I live on campus when I could just live at home? And I really, really just wanted that independent living experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it's frosh year, it's first year. I thought I want to immerse myself in all this. Now, granted, I did not fully embrace the campus living uh, lifestyle because I did not take part in too much of the the, the resident partying and all that stuff. I realized very quickly that I'm just going to be a hermit even if I am living on campus. However, I think I learned a lot just because it was my first live away from home experience. Uh, it was my first time kind of like navigating the, the you know, meal systems and the social systems and um, showing up to class on time and just kind of doing it all without necessarily someone looking to supervise you or having that that supervision. Um, so, yeah, it was the start of my young adult life. I very much remember the financial hardships of living on campus as well or like the the things that I had to do to get that stuff um, worked out to live on campus to begin with you know including just like that very first deposit I really struggled to get that thing uh, that kind of thing going Um, (laughs) relate to that yeah yeah, exactly. And and proving yeah, to OSAP yeah. or proving to, to mm-hmm. any kind of student loan system why you're living on campus, why this is because there are other people with, um you know, more convincing reasons as to why they would live on campus versus someone who's just in Toronto. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and before we, we pitch the ball over to Dave, I, I would echo a lot of what you said. I moved away and lived on campus in a, in a small dormitory. And in addition to the cost, there was also, and we'll get into this, you know, accessibility challenges to navigate, you know, everything as simple as, am I going to be able to use the the touchscreen card laundry to mm. how do I know how to navigate this new building if there's no braille signage to just sort of attitudes of those who live with you around, you know, are you able to, to be independent and are they going to be concerned about safety and is your Don going to be concerned about safety? So all of those things certainly were things that I had to consider in addition to the, the every first year's challenges. Uh, okay, can I actually afford this? And am I going to run out of my meal plan midway through? But I want to pitch the ball to Dave for a minute. Dave, can you talk to us a little bit about your experiences, if you've had those experiences living as a student on campus? Nope. I lived with my parents uh, when I was in university doing my undergrad, and then I had roommates because I was a mature student when I came back to Ottawa to do my uh, college radio broadcasting degree. I think the focus we're taking here is too narrow, guys. Like, our experiences are wonderful and fine and dandy, but ultimately the conversation that needs to be had here are students right now and how much it costs Mm -hmm. for them to live. Mm -hmm. Like today, like today, guys, one-bedroom apartments in Toronto are are well over $2,000 a month. Calgary, $1,800 a month. Guys, one 
bedroom, yeah. one student yeah. paying $1,800 a month. Like this entire consultation that's going on right now is not to worry about, oh, was it fun living in res? No, it's like literally, is there enough place to house students in cities? Like I know people want to hear our thoughts about happy times, partying, uh, drinking yeah. too much Jägermeister, but Nazreen, like fundamentally the conversation is it's too expensive for students mm -hmm. to live. Dave, forget so, about yeah. one bedroom. It's uh, let's talk about the studio studio yeah. rooms where no there's no rooms. bedroom. Yeah, exactly. And those those I've seen it all online, like even on Facebook market, people are posting about over two thousand dollars for what for one bathroom and no bedroom. It's just you and the living room like it's it's ridiculous i don't know how people are doing it and it's such a struggle and so unfair i feel like it's very unfair it's just not it's not right well and and i've been reading a lot about international students uh who are sharing you know four or five to an apartment to a one-bedroom apartment people are sleeping in hallways kitchens and so this is fundamentally wrong how can you study when you don't have a good place to live and so i want to i want to pivot for a moment and ask what do you think needs to be done to address this issue of affordability and housing for students and i want to start with you dave yeah, the fundamental question is, what's the responsibility of a university to provide housing for their student body? It, it would be unreasonable to say, hey, we've got a student body of 25,000 people, therefore there needs to be 25,000 dorm spaces. But it, it, you really do have to have a robust conversation about saying, you are bringing people to a city to give you money, to put money into your government-funded pockets. What is your obligation to invest in housing around your campus? And I think that there's really a robust conversation conversation here to put accountability on universities themselves, institutions themselves. It's the same thing I just shared the story out of Atlantic Canada in terms of hospitals are now, are, the, the Nova Scotia government is now buying property to recruit hospital workers in more rural and remote communities. The institutions themselves that are taking, that are requiring the housing at some point are going to be responsible and accountable for the housing. What do you think of my idea, Ramya, or do you have an idea of your own? Um, I don't necessarily have an idea, but I do think that, yes, the accountability should be on the education systems. I mean, all of these privately owned and uh, very you know, expensive places to come. And it's not even necessarily about the expenses now. It's that there's no space. There's no room. So That's my right. mom's a landlord, mm -hmm. and my mom lives in Scarborough, and she doesn't even live close to any uh, post-secondary institution enough to say like hey this is close to campus like you can't mm -hmm, put that mm -hmm. in the Kijiji ad however every single time um she's turning over the the people that are flocking to the the rooms and uh, availability of her basement is our, our students and it's people who can't afford or it can't you know use the money that they're like how do we say this? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not allocated money from student loans that are being used for these rooms, right? Yes. Because it's yes. not technical mm -hmm. residence. So yeah. you have this, like, gray area of students who need housing, but students who either can't afford the housing that's being offered by post-secondary or can't... Um, or there's not enough post-secondary uh, residence room for them, like the, the campus accommodations or whatever. So now they need to figure out their own ways to rent rooms. And there's nothing like they, they don't have jobs here. So as a landlord, first of all, you can't you don't have anything to go by for, you know, vetting and uh, checking these people. But also for students, like where do they go? You know, you're falling between the cracks on how, where to live, how to manage that situation, how to afford it because you can't um, claim this as residents. 
It's just so messy. And this yeah. is happening to mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of yeah. students in Toronto. Yeah. And that's it. Well, like, I, think, I just want to Elizabeth, Elizabeth, we're over time here. Last word goes to you. You got to wrap this up. No, absolutely. I was just going to say, I think this is certainly an issue affecting students, but also we know housing is a bigger issue. So moving beyond just our educational institutions to get more, uh, you know, funding for affordable housing. So we'll leave it there. And thank you, Dave and Nazreen and Ramya for joining us for the roundtable. Elizabeth, thank you for this. Nazreen, thank you as well. Ramya, before I say goodbye to you, what's the top line item on Kelly and Ramya this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI? Okay, we're talking about the Toronto International, um, uh, sorry, the in Toronto International Snowmobile ATV and Power Sports Show. Oh. We're talking about an athlete. <laughs> I, it's going to be. I thought you, I thought you were going diff there, and I'm like, no, no, going different. No. No, no, not at all. No, we're talking about this show and we're talking to an ex-pro motocross racer about the show that's coming up. It I'm sounds it sounds like Jeff Ryman's back from paternity leave. Uh, Ramya, <laughs> thank you for this. Thank you. That's Ramya and within the co-host of Kelly and Ramya coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up after the break, the competitive juices flow for another edition of the weekly news quiz. Elizabeth Moeller competes against Karen McGee and Amanda Shikarchi. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Tuesday. It's the last segment of the show. Get your competitive juices flowing. It's the weekly news quiz. Ah, yes, the battle for weekly news quiz supremacy running through the hands and brains of Elizabeth Moeller, who you've heard from lots today. You've also heard plenty from Amanda Shikarchi, so hello and hello to Amanda and Elizabeth, and also a special welcome back, officially back in the news quiz game, Karen McGee in Morrisburg, Ontario. Hello, Karen. Very happy to be back. Best part of my week, always. Best part of your week, unless you lose, in which case you make us all miserable and complain via email. I do not! We miss you, Karen. We miss you. Here are the rules of the game in case you've never been part of the weekly news quiz before. There are three rounds of questions with three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice questions. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one. If you get it wrong, we mock you a little bit and move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants and quiz was written by Paul Daniel. The order will be Amanda Shikarchi, Karen McGee, and Elizabeth Moeller. Starting off in the world of international news. Amanda, a global survey found that Canada earned second place amongst the best places in the world to live. What country was number one? Can I have the options, please? Was it Sweden, Switzerland, or Denmark? Uh, Denmark? That is incorrect. Karen McGee. Switzerland. That is correct. The rankings were developed by the global marketing company WPP and the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Karen McGee on the board with one point. And now, Karen, you've got a shot to take a commanding lead with question number two. Which world leader tweeted a picture of himself with a black eye patch and bruises on the right side of his face, a result 
from falling during a jog. Okay, I saw the picture, but I can't remember what leader it was. So if you can please give me the choices. Was it Emmanuel Macron, Olaf Scholz, or Rishi Sunak? I'm going to go with Rishi, Rishi Sunak. I can't even say it. It was not the Prime oh. Minister of England. Elizabeth, was it Emmanuel Macron or Olaf Scholz? I'm going to go with Emmanuel Macron. That is incorrect. Amanda oh. picks up the default point. It was the German Chancellor who captioned the photo. I'm excited to see the memes. <laughs> so Amanda on the board with one point. Don't worry about it though, Elizabeth. You've got a crack here to tie this thing up three okay. way. Enrique Terrio was sentenced to 22 years in prison for his role in organizing the attack on the United States Capitol on January the 6th, 2021. What group was he the leader of at the time? Uh, may I have the options, please? Was it the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Boys, or the Oath Keepers? I'm going to go with A. The Proud Boys is correct. Terrio was handed the most severe penalty so far to any of the more than 1,100 people charged in connection with the domestic terrorism incident on the U.S. Capitol. After one round... Tied three ways, one, one, one. Heading into second of the round where all the questions will be related to Canada. Karen McGee, you get a real layup here for this uh, first oh, question. Don't Pri say that, Dave. I always screw those up. Uh, I know. It's to put the pressure <laughs> on you. Premier Heather Stevenson called an election last week for October 3rd. Of which province was Stephenson Premier? Oh. Oh, no. I thought this was easy for you. <sighs> I have a follow-up question, but I don't think I can ask it. I'm going to take the choices because I think I know, but I don't want to pass this on to anybody. Is it Saskatchewan, Manitoba, or Prince Edward Island? Yeah, that wasn't what I was thinking. Um, I'm going to go Prince Edward Island. That is incorrect. Oh. Elizabeth, a chance for a steal. Okay. I am going to go with... Manitoba. That is correct. One point for oh, Elizabeth. Ooh. Stephenson has been premier since November the 2nd of 2021. So now the opportunity falls on to Elizabeth to take a uh, even bigger ooh. commanding lead here. Okay. So 2-1-1 two, right. Two, one, one right now with Elizabeth in the lead. Peter Ruiz abruptly resigned from his position last week of this Canadian retailer. What company is it? Options, please. Is it Canadian Tire, Simons, or Indigo? I am going to go with Canadian Tire. That is incorrect. Ooh. Amanda, chance for the steal. Was it Simons or Indigo? Indigo? That is correct. One point for Amanda. Rue's sudden departure comes almost a year yeah. after he took the top job. So now, Amanda, you're the one who can take a commanding lead. A Canadian NHL team announced that Quinn Hughes will be the 15th captain in franchise history. What Canadian hockey team is it? Uh, can I have the options, please? Is it the Edmonton Oilers, the Vancouver Canucks, or the Winnipeg Jets? I feel like it was the Edmonton Oilers, but I could be wrong. That is incorrect. Connor McDavid would be very upset if somebody took <sighs> away his C. Karen McGee, come on. I know you know this one. I don't, Dave. Come I on, I've been, Karen. I've been working this week. Um, is, it, is, it I, the, is it the Vancouver Canucks or the Winnipeg Jets? I want to say Vancouver. 
That is correct. One point for okay. Karen. Maybe I did know McGee. it. <laughs> Quinn Hughes mm. is the first defenseman to have a C on his sweater for the Canucks since Kevin McCarthy wore it from 1979 to 1982. I made it a little help from the control room here. I'm getting too excited. I believe we're all tied at two across the board here going into the third round. Thank so. you, Eliza and Anastasia, for confirming that my math is good. I'm very proud of myself. I can count to two. We are making progress here. Let's see if I can count to three as round number three begins with these questions all related to general news stories and the first crack going to Elizabeth. Elizabeth, what late night talk show host has been accused of a toxic and erratic workplace? Options, by the way, please. not. By the way, I'm not on the list, apparently. I, uh, is, I, I, I wasn't going to say you were, James, yeah, but fine. I will get the options. Is, <laughs> is it Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, or Jimmy Fallon? I am going to go with option C. Jimmy Fallon is correct. Rolling Stone reported Fallon apologized to staff in a Zoom meeting. Karen, I heard, the point, by the way, uh, not being inappropriate behavior. Karen, I heard you <laughs> sigh out loud there. I knew you knew that answer. That, that was Yeah, one that I, knew I knew that one yeah, too. Yeah, sorry, that. sorry. <laughs> Out of your life, live mic, live mic. Yeah, live mic, live <laughs> mic. Okay. I'm Ama glad I got it then. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, this question is headed towards you and it's coming from the video game industry. A new adventure role-playing video game set in a galaxy of 1,000 planets was released for Expos, Expos, Xbox, and Windows last Wednesday. What is the name of the game? Okay, I have no clue, but give me the options. <laughs> Neither did I until I saw this this morning. Is it Starfield, Stargate, or Timescape? Stargate? That is incorrect. Karen, a chance for a steal here. Starfield or Timescape? I'm going to say Timescape. That is incorrect. Elizabeth oh. gets the default point. Ooh. Starfield was so eagerly anticipated that Microsoft bought the creator, Bethesda Game Studios, to ensure the franchise would be exclusive to Xbox and Windows. And I'm sure there will be no antitrust trials in the United States about that. Okay, heading into this last question, I did a quick score check. I believe Elizabeth has four and Karen Amanda are both at two. Just my, my, my math adds up. I'm so good. I'm so glad that Eliza is good at math because I really need these confirmations for me in the control <laughs> room. So Karen McGee, you know that if you get this question correct without the options, you create a tie at the top of the leaderboard. Yes. Okay. You, see, you know you know the rules. I know it's been a minute, I, but you, you know the rules. And I no think pressure. I, I I feel like you're going to get this one. I know I've put a lot no, of pressure. Oh, Dave, on you. don't do that. When you do that, you, it, it it like puts a curse on me I or know, something. I know. I know. It's the Dave Brown curse. It's the broadcaster curse. Karen McGee. Attendees of which annual festival were left stranded in a desert turned mud pit after two months of rain fell in 24 hours. Oh, burning Man. Boom! Two points for Karen McGee, tying the game to create a tie-breaking question scenario. 70,000 attendees found themselves scrambling to get out of the Nevada desert for a Burning Man. So, you know, 
Listen, of all, of all festivals where there's going to be a giant mud pit, I feel like Burning Man's one of the most appropriate. You can read into that however you want, based on the habitual nature of Burning Man. So going into this tiebreaker, it's simply a Karen versus Elizabeth scenario. Sorry, Amanda, okay. you are on the outs. And I'm going to remind you mm -hmm. how this works. I'm going to read the whole question and then say done. The first person who calls out their name gets first crack at the answer. So I'm, when I say done, okay. you can holler out your name and then get first crack at answering the question. Oh boy, all right. What late musical legends piano was sold at auction last week for $2.2 million? Done. Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, go ahead. Do I get my options? No. Oh, there's no options. Okay, I'm going to pass to Karen. Karen. I'm not taking a guess. I'm going to wait and get the options. Okay, so this is going to this is going to be a, a a difficult one here. I'm going to read the options and then I'm going to say done again. Is it A, John Lennon, B, Jerry Lee Lewis, or C, Freddie Mercury? Done. B. Oh, Karen, B. Uh, that is incorrect and also a violation of the rules. I know, Elizabeth. I screwed up. <laughs> I am going to guess option C. Freddie Mercury is correct. Mercury, nice. Mercury's prized 1973 Yamaha G2 baby grand piano was used to compose some of Queen's most acclaimed works, including Bohemian Rhapsody. And with that, out of the tiebreaker, in overtime, Elizabeth, just like the New York Jets, is your winner. Congratulations, Elizabeth Moeller. Thank you, Dave. Thank you, team. Uh, a good effort through and through. Karen, I know you're a little bit rusty. I didn't mean to give you such a hard time today. That's okay. I deserve it. I know I'm better. I'm better than this. Uh, Karen, how did your household uh, deal with week one of the NFL season? I'm still feeling a little bloated. Uh, it feels too early. It always feels too early when it starts. Um, good. Uh, sad person here on Sunday with the Steelers losing. Um, and I'm very happy that I came away with nine points in my football pool. So I feel pretty good about that good solid job. week one. Oh yeah. Karen McGee's nice. annual football tool. One of the no. football pool. One of the things I miss of hanging around the Ottawa office with Karen McGee was uh, football give, giving you very <laughs> poor advice on your football pool. I'm fourth out of 47 right now. So I'm feeling pretty Ooh. good. Wow. Karen McGee picking up the big W's over there. Well Love done by that. you. Well, <laughs> nice Karen, job. Karen, thank you. Have a great day. You too, my friend. Amanda, thank you for all your help today. Have a great day. Thank you. See you tomorrow. And Elizabeth, thank you for your help today. You're back tomorrow in a double back dose tomorrow. form. Double in, dose. In both the co-host <laughs> scenario and roundtabling it up with Marco Pasqua. So looking you forward bet. to having you in the mix and looking forward to having you out there in listener land and the viewer vortex as part of the show. As I mentioned, Elizabeth's part of the roundtable with Marco. We've got a smattering of topics to get to. A little artificial intelligence in the classroom, a little bit of a conversation about the Canada disability ability benefit. Marco's got a story about uh, brain implants and speech recovery. We're going to quick slant our way through a whole mess of stories with Marco and Elizabeth. So looking forward to that one coming your way. The show starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun.
Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.